I have really enjoyed this whole journey that we've been taking through the Old Testament prophets. I hope that you are enjoying it as well. I love the Old Testament. It's not that I, I love the New Testament too, but I love the Old Testament. I just think that, that we get such a great picture of God in the Old Testament. And in this, uh, in this passage that we're going to look at today, it's from Hosea chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Um, but first, before we get into our text, I want to set the stage a little bit. Because Hosea was the last prophet that God sent to the northern tribe of Israel. And um, before they were destroyed and exiled by Assyria. So I guess you can say, well, what happened? Well, the reason why the northern kingdom was destroyed and exiled is because they had turned from their own true God to other gods. So you might say, well, how did they get there? So I'm going to give you a little bit of history so you'll know what's going on. You remember, of course, that King David was a tremendously successful warrior king. He gained territory like no king had ever gained before. And that um, he was a person who loved God with all of his heart. All you have to do is read the Psalms and you know that. Even though he was far from perfect as a human being, he left his son Solomon with a lot of territory, a government to establish and organize, a temple to build, and a love for God. And if you're looking at this, the map right up there, I know it's not very big, but you can kind of see that the Dead Sea is, the Mediterranean Sea is that big patch of gray off to the left. And then you'll see the Dead Sea that's kind of the biggest piece of other uh, water that there is there. And then you'll see up above it, there's the Jordan River that goes up to the Sea of Galilee. And Jerusalem is just the dot slightly uh, up above and to the left of the Dead Sea. So this is the, king, the territory that we had, that Israel had underneath David and also Solomon. You'll notice it goes all the way up to the Euphrates River up there in the upper right-hand corner. Okay. So he gained a vast amount of territory. And all of this was given to Solomon. Now Solomon was a, an organizer. He was also a diplomat. And he made treaties with a bunch of people all around him. But one of the chief ways that he made treaties was to either marry a, a, a daughter of their country, okay, usually a high-born daughter of their country, and or accept a concubine into his harem. He wound up with pretty close to 700 wives and concubines. Now, we're not going to make any more comments about that. <laughs> Except for one thing, that all of these women brought their gods with them. Now, that was a problem. And in his later years, Solomon wound up building a high place, which was in Israel times, all of the people who did not worship God had put up on the tops of hills statues and, and, and altars 
places where they could go and worship these gods that hands had made. Now, nobody in Israel was supposed to be doing that because they had the one true God who had brought them out of Israel. So Solomon, in his later days, built this high place up here for one of his wives. Now, what kind of a testimony do you think that was to the rest of Israel? Not a good one, okay? Still, truly in his heart, Solomon, Solomon believed there was only one true God, and he honored and served that God. But he was not strict with his wives, okay? So, when Solomon died, he left the kingdom to his son, who was called Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was a pretty cocky young man, and he did not want to listen to any of his father's advisors, nor did he consult God. He decided that he was going to rule the country the way he was going to rule it, and consequently lost the whole northern kingdom to a guy named Jeroboam, who was not of the lineage of David. And now we've got, um, oh, sorry, this is, this is Jerusalem. What I was intending to tell you about this is that, do you see the Mount of Olives to the right over there? It's kind of like all of that cluster of bushes up there. That's the Mount of Olives, and you can see how close it is to the temple. And all of Jerusalem, actually it's higher than the temple in Jerusalem. It is the, the highest place right around that area. And that's where he built the, uh, the high place for one of his wives. And it overlooked Jerusalem. It was not a very politically astute thing to do. So at any rate, back to Jeroboam. Um, because it was, in, and can I see the next slide, Joe, please? Yeah. This is the northern kingdom. You can see that right at the top of the Dead Sea there, there's that dotted line that goes across the Mediterranean. That was the dividing place between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You can see that the, um, the northern kingdom had all of that territory that went on up to the Euphrates, and the southern kingdom was down towards where it says Judah there and down into all of the rest of Israel that goes down to the Red Sea at the bottom. So it was divided right there. Notice very carefully that Bethel, which is one of the major worship places in Israel, was now in the northern kingdom. But Jerusalem, where the temple was, was in the southern kingdom. So Jeroboam did not like the idea of having all of the people go and worship in Jerusalem go to the southern kingdom and worship? You've got to be kidding me. They'll all want to stay there. And so he decided that he was going to establish two new worship places in the, nor in the northern kingdom. One was in Bethel. You can see it there right up above the dotted line. The other one was in Dan, which is way up above the Sea of Galilee there at the top. And so in those places, he made golden calves, and he said to them, here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. That's in 1 Kings 12, 28. Now, is that true? No. The Lord God brought them out of Egypt. And so he was purposely 
leading the people away from worshiping God. He also erected altars, held festivals, and sacrificed on those altars to gods he had made. It's always been amazing to me how people can think that something is a god that they made with their own hands. But at any rate, at the end of Jeroboam's life, there were people in the northern kingdom who worshiped God, but quite a few people had followed their king. So with each succeeding king in Israel, the northern kingdom drew further from God. And by the time of Hosea, remember he was the last one. So he was about 150 years after Jeroboam. Priests had been selected for idol worship who were not of the line of Aaron. And more places of idol worship had been established. Festival days were held that, where the worship of other gods was openly uh, done. The Ten Commandments that were a rule of life and the sacrificial systems that was practiced in Judah, even uh, if it was practiced in Israel, was not overseen by Levitical priests, but by others who were chosen from other tribes of Israel and not performed in the temple. So Hosea says, the quote, Joe, the next one. Yeah. <laughs> Hosea in, in chapter 4 says, Wine has robbed my people of their understanding. They ask a piece of wood for advice. They think a stick can tell them the future. Longing after idols had, has made them foolish. They have played the prostitute, serving other gods and deserting their God. So, between the first king, Jeroboam, and Hosea, God had sent lots of prophets to the northern kingdom. Some of them you'll recognize, Elijah, Elisha, both very famous. Jonah, you know him because of the whale. Amos, all of these people he had sent to the northern kingdom to call them back to him. But they didn't listen. They thought they could do as they pleased, then offer a sin offering and their relationship would be restored with God. They didn't seem to realize that God knows everything. He knew there was no repentance in their heart. In the book of Hosea, God chose to represent his relationship with Israel using Hosea's life. So he tried to show how much the Israelites, how much he loved the Israelites, even though they had turned away from him to worship for other, God, other gods. He would forgive them and accept them back if they turned from the worship of other gods. Hosea's ministry was approximately from 733 to 715. And don't forget, the Israelites were conquered by the Assyrians in 722 BC. Now, Gomer, um, Hosea's wife was named Gomer. And she was a promiscuous young woman. And uh, God tells us in Hosea 1, 2, and this should be on the next one, Joe. Yeah. Go and marry a prostitute. Now, as a young man, how would you like to be told that? <laughs> that would be quite a thing. This will illustrate, though, and he said this right to Hosea, this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. Well, she was a promiscuous young woman, but she was an adulterous wife. So she had three children, but Hosea never knew whether they were his or not. He, however, did accept every single one of them and raise them as though he was, they were his own. 
Then um, she went fully, Gomer went fully into prostitution. But Hosea did buy her back out of prostitution, saying to her, you will not, if you wish to stay with me and be loved by me, you will not go to any other man. It will be with me. And so um, that was just in the first three chapters of Hosea. So in, that, in those short chapters there, God demonstrated that he loved Israel in spite of everything that she had done, but that she had left her own true husband. And um, he went on from there in chapters 3 through 14 to state his case against Israel, the northern kingdom, find fault with the priests and the royal family for leading the people astray, calling them to repentance, stating his judgment against Israel, and telling them how much he loved them. And the passage that we're going to look at is Hosea 6, 4 through 7, and it is in the section that calls everyone in, in, in Israel to repentance. So um, I'm going to read that to you. O oh, Israel and Judah, what should I do with you? Asked the Lord. For your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like dew in the sunlight. I sent my prophets to cut you to pieces, to slaughter you with my words, with judgments as inescapable as lights. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. But like Adam, you broke my covenant and betrayed my trust. So you notice in this that God includes Judah in his call to repentance. Let's look specifically at the first, at verse four, and uh, particularly at the first part of it. Can't you just feel his frustration when he says, what should I do with you? And um, I don't know about you, but I felt like saying that to a couple of kids who have been in my care. Because it just seems like, um, I've done everything that I can to, to think, to help them uh, be, uh, to change them, and to help them understand who they need to be. But they still don't get it. Not only do they seem not to get it, but they actually work towards, against getting it. So um, I know I've been very frustrated. And it just seems like that's what God is expressing here. And then he, um, the obvious question is that I know kids ask me is, how do you know I'm not getting it? And so then, but then yes, God's going to tell them how he knows that they're not getting it. He gets to his complaint, and it, it's the second part here of, of verse 4. Um, nope, not quite. Back? You can't go back? <laughs> okay, well, I'll read it to you anyway. <laughs> um, the second part of verse 4 says, For your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like dew in the, sun, in the sunlight. And the problem was, where's the love? They had none. 
They didn't have love for God. They didn't have love for their, their fellow man. They just didn't have love. And God said, has said to us two times, there's his greatest commandment to us, and now you can go to that. Let's go to the greatest commandment. It was the one after the slide you, with the head verses four and five on it. Yeah, this is it. The first commandment, he says both in, in the Old Testament and he says it in the New Testament. Let's read this one from the Old Testament together, okay? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Deuteronomy 6, 5. And he says that again in the New Testament. Jesus says it in the New Testament. And then the second greatest commandment, we all know that one too. Go ahead and change to the next one. It's blank. Okay, is the one after that? Oh my gosh, Joe. All right, well, I don't know what happened, but that's okay. We all know the second greatest commandment anyway. It is said in, um, said in Leviticus the first time, verse 19, 18, it says, love your neighbors as yourself. And then you know that in the New Testament, it's said in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and I'm gonna quote you the one from Matthew, it's love your neighbor as yourself. So both of those commandments are the two greatest commandments that God gave us. Trump all of the other ones. And even in, Paul said in Galatians that for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So, this kind of misbehavior, the misbehavior that does not show love, either to God or to the people around you, um, strikes right at the essence of who God is. Because God is love. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And love is not just a characteristic of God. Love describes him. This is right who he is, his very essence. So as his people, the Israelites and the Judahites should have been loving God, loving each other, and loving the strangers that are in their midst. Instead, he couldn't find that characteristic in them. What a sad state of affairs. Don't we hope that God is not saying that about us? So, we have even less of an excuse than the Israelites did. Because as we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, he comes to live in us. So it's him, his Holy Spirit, that is working out God's love through us. And so, the only way that we can keep God from showing his love through us is if we purposely decide that we're not gonna let him love through us. Now, I know none of us wanna be in that position at all, do we? So, that the people of Israel did not have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. They had the Holy Spirit that came to certain people in ancient times, certainly to Moses and Abraham. 
and the prophets and David and Solomon and several other people that were there, but not to the whole, everyone who believed in him. Like we have the privilege of having the Holy Spirit in us. So um, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be telling God not to be himself through me. So in verse 5, do we have anything anymore, Joe? Good. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> so God, in verse 5, he says, he, he tells the Israelites what he did to try to get them back. I sent my prophets to cut you to pieces, to slaughter you with my words, with judgments as inescapable of life. The problem is they weren't listening. They didn't want to listen. They wanted to keep life the way it was, to worship the gods that they worshiped. Because who knows why, they were more fun. They didn't ask that, that they do in a really difficult thing like love God. No. He says, and you still didn't listen, even when I sent you these prophets. So their judgments were inescapable. You had famines. You had times when people raided your country, when they, took, when they killed people, when they took other people away captive. All of this had been going on up to through the time of, of Hosea. And you still didn't listen. So even people who were still offering sacrifices for God, to God were just going through the motions. Six days out of the week, they might be making business decisions that wouldn't honor God, lying to customers about the quality of the wool, attending to festivals for other gods, eating things God had forbidden, um, and visiting the cult prostitutes. Then... They brought a sacrifice to God on the Sabbath or maybe the holy, a holy day and thought, that was what God wanted me to do. I fulfilled my commitment, I'm done. But would that really restore the relationship? Would that really wash away their sins with the blood of the sacrifice? No, not if they're just going through the motions, not if there was no repentance. No desire to love God and love your people. So in verse 6, God describes what he wants. He says, do we have verse 6? We'll see it. Okay, then I'll read it. <laughs> okay, God says, I want you to show love. I don't want sacrifices. I want you to know me. I don't want burnt offerings. Because if you know me, then my love will shine through you. You won't be able to deny it. And that's absolutely true. We know, if we know God, that he loves, we know that he loves us with an overwhelming love. Then it enables us both to love him and also to love everybody else even though we know how unlovable each one of us can be. He still loves us, even if we do terrible things, if we love him and we repent from what we have done. Now, repent doesn't mean I'm saying my so I'm sorry and I'm gonna do it again. No, it means I don't wanna hurt God. 
So I am not going to, I'm going to try my best. With God's help, I won't do whatever that was again. Because I don't want to hurt God, and God is so hurt by our sin. So, it's so important that we learn from history that Israel and even Judah did not listen to the words of the prophets of God. And we're even listening to the, prophet, the words of the prophet Hosea today. So, like Adam, we broke his covenant and betrayed his trust. That's in verse 7. Yeah, good. Um, this is amazing. We've got every other verse, huh? Okay. <laughs> all right. So we know that. And it's all about God. It's all about his love for us and what he did on the cross so many years ago. But we still remember that because his love does not die. It has not stopped. It has not stopped loving once all of the disciples died out. It, it keeps going because God loves each one of us personally. He knows our names. He made us, the whole of us, inside out. So we don't ask God to forgive us our sins because he commands it. We do it because we lo love him so much and we don't want it to, our sin to hurt God. We want our relationship back so we ask forgiveness, and we, we ask God to help us never to do that again. In old times, people didn't, God didn't want people to bring sacrifices because he commanded it, but because they loved him, and they wanted to maintain that relationship with him. And that relationship in the Old Testament was, was made well again because the sacrifice of animals signified the sacrifice that Jesus was going to make for us. And it did cleanse sins. Because it looked forward to the time when Jesus was going to die for all of our sins. So, like Israel and Judah, we are people who have broken our covenants with God and have betrayed our trust. We have not loved God and our neighbors the way that we should. We know better because we love God and we have been called to know him and love him and others. So why are we still going through the motions? We may, may not be sacrificing to other gods, or we might. I'll leave that up to you to work out with God. But are we living with God and for God through every minute of every single day? When we pray, are we really talking to God who created the whole universe and loves us more than we can ever even understand. When we say the Lord's Prayer, are we thinking through each phrase and what it means? Are we just praying it because it's rote? When we walk out the door, are we following after Jesus out that door? When we have communion, are we thinking about what those elements mean and what the sacrifice was that Jesus gave for us? Are we thinking about that, knowing that God loves us? then are we appreciating what God has given us? And that's the privilege of knowing him and loving him. You know, oh my goodness, is there anything better in the whole world? I know I want to know him better and love him and others better. Let's pray. 
Father, we come before you now as your children who have not always loved as we should. Father, please forgive us for not loving you and not knowing you the way that we should. Not loving others and letting you love through us. Father, please help us to love you with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. And love our neighbors with your love the way that you love us. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's decide, shall we, to help each other love God and love people the way that he wants us to.